So I, I've played a lot of different icebreaker type games <clears throat> in my life, and, and, and one of the most common ones is, is where you're trying to get people to share a little bit about themselves so you can really start to get to know each other. And, and, and one of the simplest ones of those is, is just to go around a circle and everybody answers uh, the same question, you know, such as, like, everybody share what your favorite movie is and why, right? Just something simple, and, and people pass that around. And it can be fun and, and, and uh, interesting to do that. But I've noticed there's one thing that can make it much more difficult for people to choose or decide what it is they want to share. And that is when you add the little phrase, the most, to the question, right? Because just about everybody can think of an embarrassing moment that they can share or a time when they were scared. But if you say share the most embarrassing moment or the time you were the most scared. I mean, that, that gets a, a lot harder to do, right? Because when you say the most, that means it has to be the, the pinnacle, the, the zenith, right? It can't just be one among uh, many others. Uh, the most means it has to be that singular, solitary item at the very top. And for many of us, it gets pretty difficult when you try to narrow things down that way. For instance, if I just said to you, share with me the most meaningful compliment you've ever received. Well, now then it gets hard, right? Because maybe one will come to mind and go, oh, yeah, I remember this person did that or whatever and said that. But then all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, yeah, but I remember back then and another one. And you know, and when you're trying to get the most, it's hard to narrow things down. And well, I, I thought about that this week uh, as we're continuing our sermons by request because uh, the one I selected for this Sunday says this. Um, I've always wanted to hear a sermon about what you believe, so it's personal preference. Other people may end up with some other ones, right? What you believe the most challenging verse in the Bible is for Christians to follow. I've been thinking about that one all summer long. <laughs> there is an awful lot of challenging verses in the Bible. But I finally settled on what I believe is. So grab your Bibles and open up to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians. You know, we didn't put a scripture on there because did that on purpose. You have to wait. Ephesians chapter 5. And this person said verse, singular, not verses or passage. So we're, we're sticking to just one verse. And so I encourage you to follow along with me as we read out loud Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 1, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to be together. Uh, God, we're asking for your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and minds today. We love coming to church. We love the fellowship. We love the, the joy that that brings, the opportunity to, to sing your praises. But God, we come because we want you to meet us and to do your work in us. So we just pray for open hearts and minds today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, so let's get right into it. Obviously, I could have 
selected any number of verses. There's so many challenging ones, but, but uh, here's what we ended up with. And, and for those of you who are note takers, and you know, I always encourage that because even if you never look at your notes again, just the idea of writing something down is, is going to help uh, solidify that in your memory. And, and then if you did you know, happen to purposely pull them out at another time, maybe during your own personal private devotion sometime and, and read over them and think about it a little bit, you know, that's going to exponentially increase uh, your retention rate. A and then if you went e even a step further and you picked maybe one application point and you said, you know what, I'm going to try to do that today or this week or whatever, I mean, that's when the Bible begins transforming our lives, which is what our goal really is, right? We're not just here to try to stuff our heads with more Bible knowledge, we want God to change our lives. And, and so I encourage note-taking. All of that to say, if you are a note-taker, there's three very simple points to the message today. The first is what it means. The second, why it's the most challenging. And the third, is it even possible? So let's begin with what it means by looking at the command. Be imitators of God. I mean, you can see right away uh, that that's incredibly challenging, but it, it's really not all that hard to understand, right? So this, this will be a very short, uh, quick point. Um, the, the Greek word translated as imitator is where we get our English term mimic from. And we all know what it means to mimic, right? It, it means to duplicate, to, to accurately reflect or to mirror uh, the words or the actions of another. When, uh, when we were young children, my sister knew that mimicking my older brother was a great way to push his buttons. She would follow him around the house saying everything he said and doing everything he did and it drove him nuts until finally he would yell at her, you know, stop it! And she's like, stop it! <laughs> and he's like, no, I mean it! No, I mean it, you know, and she's going on and on and all this kind of stuff until finally he would get so frustrated, he would yell out to mom, you know, right? Mom, make Gail stop copying me. And depending on how pugnacious Gail felt at that moment, I might hear another voice yell out, Mom, make Gail stop yelling, you know, and this gone. It was great. It was entertaining. Um, <laughs> in a sense... That is what this verse is expecting us to do. We are to copy, to mimic, to imitate God. We're, we're being called upon to accurately reflect the character, the action, uh, the words of God. And, and did you notice that this instruction is not posed as a suggestion or even as something that would be a really good idea, right? It is stated as an imperative command. Be imitators of God. And I think it's also important to keep in mind that this instruction was not given to a limited, specific segment of Christianity, right? It's not like this is for pastors or missionaries or church leaders or this type of thing, right? It is not just for those who are long-term uh, Christians, mature in their faith. It is a directive for every single believer. A, a brand new follower of Jesus Christ 
or a seasoned saint? A young child or someone who's been around the block several times? It's for male or female, rich or poor, married or single. We're all supposed to be imitators of God. Copying him, doing what he says uh, and saying, or doing what he does and saying what he says. That, that's, that's what the verse means, right? Pretty quick, pretty short, simple point. So now let's look at why this is so challenging. And I think there's two basic reasons why, to me, it was the most challenging verse for Christians to follow, right? And the first is because uh, uh, it appears to there, there's no flexibility in the command, right? It, it kind of reminds me uh, of one of my favorite quotes from the original Star Wars movies, okay? I hope if you haven't seen the original Star Wars movie, shame on you. It's a classic. You should see that. But, but uh, uh, it's great. So Yoda begins uh, training Luke Skywalker to be a Jedi Knight. And again, if you haven't ever seen Star Wars, Yoda is a character who speaks in rather strange grammar. He's putting his words all in different order type of thing. That's, that's just what he does. But uh, he's been training Luke, and, and training to be a Jedi Knight is exhausting uh, work. And so you got this uh, scene of Luke just covered with sweat and, and, and obviously completely worn out and, and, and tired. And Yoda gives him another exercise, another thing that he has to do. And after a little bit of whining, and complaining, Luke finally says, okay, I'll try. And Yoda immediately says, not, uh, immediately stops and, and says, no, do or do not. There is no try. Well, that's pretty much the way this verse is presented, isn't it? Do or do not. There is no try. It's not give it your best shot. Not try your hardest. It's be imitators of God. Period. End of command. Now, the second reason I think it's so challenging, and I think you'll get this one right away, is because God is good and we are not. And, and it's not just that God is good, right? He's very good. He is perfect. Perfect in character, perfect in actions, and perfect in words. And we are none of those things. In fact, we are incredibly not perfect, right? We are broken. We are sinful. And yet, the command is still there. We are supposed to be imitators of God. You know, Jesus gave this exact same command uh, in a very blunt style during the Sermon on the Mount when he said, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's our model. That's what we're supposed to imitate. Perfection. You know, if we were called upon to imitate just another man, even a really good one, 
Well, you know, we could work really hard and do our best, and we could do that because another person is flawed just like we are flawed. But imitate God? Man, that's, that's another story, isn't it? I mean, just to see, just for us to get a sense uh, uh, of how difficult that would be, let's uh, look a little bit at what God does and see how challenging this is. And the best way to do that, of course, is to check the immediate context uh, around which this verse and this command is written. See what follows right afterwards. It says, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Okay, so it says, be imitators of God, and then he immediately goes on and say, hey, if you want to imitate God, walk in in love jesus christ being the visible tangible expression of god's love that we can see and emulate so we're called to love like god loves and the way god loves is best seen in jesus christ but i mean you could think on that for a little bit just to give yourself an idea but let's just look at a couple of verses to see how it is that god loves john three sixteen. right we are told for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son. God gave the most precious gift possible. He gave his only son. And so that means if we are going to love like God, we are supposed to have a giving and generous love, a love that doesn't hold anything back, a love that's not guarded or selfish, uh, a love that's not, you know, looking out for my own personal interests and needs, and, and it, it is that full and complete giving love. And maybe you're thinking, well, you know, I, I, I do okay with that, at least, you know, with my family and, and friends, but then you read Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. This is when he gave Christ. Christ died for us. So that means God was giving and displaying his love to people who didn't deserve it. While we were still actively pursuing our own selfish desires and sinful behaviors. God's love uh, towards us was so great that while we were defying him, grieving him, he still loved us and still gave what we needed. And now we're told, be imitators of God. Love other people in that same way. And it wasn't just this warm, mushy, emotional, sentimental type love, right? It was a practical, meeting our deepest needs sort of love. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Propitiation simply means a satisfactory sacrifice. God's love is so deep for us that He Himself paid the price that we owed to remove our sins and, and give us eternal life and reconcile us with Himself so that we could have that good and right relationship with Him. So He, he loved us by doing for us 
what we could not have done on our, on our own and meeting in us the greatest need that we had. And that's, that's just a, a, a quick look at the way God loves us. And our job, our command, is to be imitators of God. So if imitating God was, was regulated to just that one aspect, it, it would be hard enough, right? That, that, I think, would in itself make this the most challenging verse for Christians to follow. But that's not all there is to it, right? Going back to Ephesians 5.1, did you notice that the verse starts with the word, therefore, right? And, and that means that we have to look at the immediate context before the verse because obviously the Apostle Paul said something really important and now having said something really important, he says, okay, therefore, you are to be imitators of God. So now we have to, to keep in mind that when Paul wrote this, uh, there were no chapter and verse uh, designations. It was just a, a letter that flowed from one thought into the next. So the next, the previous sentence right before uh, Ephesians 5.1 is Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God, how do you forgive? Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. All right, so now, besides loving like God loves, we, we realize we're supposed to forgive as God forgives. And you know what? As you read Scripture, you find out that God's forgiveness is really defined by two basic things. It is full and it is free. Full means it is, it is complete, not holding anything back, not a partial forgiveness or an incremental forgiveness. When God forgives, it's described as not remembering your sin anymore, as being buried in, in the deepest sea or as being separated from you as far as the east is from the west. And that means we uh, full also mean, or, uh, that, that's the fullness, it's complete. And then free means that we, we don't, have to earn it we don't have to deserve it or pay for it it is given out of his grace just for asking and then we read be imitators of god and we think really is is he seriously commanding this of us and again <laughs> just those two things to love and forgive as God loves, that would be enough to be overwhelming for us, right? But the truth is we could go on and on looking at the characteristics uh, of God and His actions and His words, but, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm just going to look at one more verse that kind of sums up everything for us. First Peter chapter 1 says, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all of your behavior because it is written you shall be holy for I am holy so notice this verse is specifically talking about our behavior and how much did you notice how much of your behavior is covered under this all and holy behavior entails a lot of practical things like being good and right and pure. In all we do. Be imitators of God.
So how are you doing? Because as I'm looking at this, I'm realizing I'm not doing very well at all. Which brings me to the final and third point, right? We know what the verse means. Hopefully you've seen why I believe it is so challenging. So now the big question for us is, is it even possible? Can we actually follow this command or is it just some pie in the sky, hey, you know, we say this to, to sound good type of thing? And the answer of can we follow it is yes, absolutely. And no, not really, both at the same time. So let me explain how that works. And let me start with, with the no, not really, because that's a lot easier for us to grasp and accept. See, the truth is, none of us, not even the most dedicated, fervent believer, will ever be perfect here on earth. There will always be that battle with temptation. We will always be fighting the pull of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And because we are weak, and frail humans, there will be times when we fail to love like God or to forgive like God or to be kind and tender-hearted and generous and everything else, all the characteristics of God uh, that you can find. We are going to fail. Sometimes we will say something that we shouldn't have said. Sometimes we will let our emotions lead us to act in ways that are contrary to God's word in the spur of the moment, under the pressure of the second, we may act flippantly or say something without thinking and only later go back and go, oh, what was I thinking? We may have a sincere desire to follow God and to live righteously, but we may also be blinded to a part of us that is out of sync with God's will. An area in our life, in our minds where we have justified it and because of all that we will never be able to completely and perfectly be imitators of God we will fall short we will fail but does that mean that we're without hope or that again God has asked us to do something that is beyond our reach well let's go back to the verse and look at it again because there's one phrase in that verse that we haven't mentioned yet and, and we, need to, we need to read it. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And you know what? I, I believe there's two truths that come out of that final phrase that, that bring us hope. Two different aspects of truth that bring us hope. And the first is a relational aspect. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. You have a relationship with God, a father, a perfect heavenly father to child relationship. And you know what? We have all noticed a child displaying the same characteristics as the parent. Just this last week, I had two different people tell me uh, that uh, uh, I had a facial expression that looked just like Zachary. Okay, well, I hate to get picky, but Zachary has a facial expression that looks just like me, right? <laughs> that, that's, the way it, that's the way it works. Uh, children imitate parents. That's, a, that's what we see happens normally and naturally 
in, in, the, in the house, right? A child picks up and displays in their own life things that they have seen from their parents. Have you ever, have you ever watched a little girl boss her siblings around? Right? I, even, even, even if, like my, my sister was the youngest of us three kids, even if she's the youngest, it works, right? And you pick that up. Don't you look at me like that. Where do you think she got that from? She didn't just come up with that out of the blue, right? Have you ever watched a father and a son walk away from you? And you notice they walk with the exact same gait. Now, now maybe when they're little, it doesn't, it's harder to tell because the kid's taking three steps to dad's every one, but it's there. They, they get these things by living in close proximity to their parents. And in the same way, as a beloved child of God, as we live in close proximity with our Heavenly Father, we will begin to imitate Him. But, but beyond those things that are, that are just caught like that, as parents, we'll, we'll intentionally train our children in, in things that are important to us, right? Ways we want them to act. We, we teach them how to work, how to treat other people, how to respond to authority, how to speak, and, and, and so on and so forth, right? And the example that we set in those things um, is, is what we want them to learn from us and, and for them to imitate us. But you know what? We, we understand that it is a growing process, right? You would not expect your eight-year-old child to be able to clean the garage with the same uh, type of detail and, and exactness that you would as an adult. So we understand that as a child, growth will happen in stages. As beloved children, we're called to imitate God. And like children, our imitation may at times be pretty weak. But God knows that we are in a process of growth. And he loves us. We're beloved, it says. He loves us through all those years of growth and those different stages, knowing that we will not truly and fully become all that he has planned for us until we see Jesus Christ face to face. But that brings us, I think, to the second truth that, that comes out of that phrase as, as beloved children, and, and that is that there's a, you know, we have that relational aspect, but there's also a positional aspect, right? By virtue of your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a child uh, of God. You are no longer the person you used to be. According to the Bible, you are a new creation. Your heart is cleansed. Your life is redeemed and, and your future is secured all by the blood of Jesus Christ. And in that position as God's child, you are empowered and enabled to live like our Heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit. And, and what you will find, again, is that there's always more and more of your life that must be turned over to Him. As we submit ourselves to God and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, we will begin to imitate 
our Heavenly Father. But, but that's going to be, again, this ongoing process as a child. God will bring to light areas in your life where you haven't even thought about yet or maybe you've neglected or areas where you maybe have purposely hidden or justified. But that's what he's going to do through the Holy Spirit. And, and again, it's a process, not a once-for-all event. But as we continue to do that, to submit to God and, and, and to rely on his power, we will grow to be more and more like Jesus, who the Bible tells us is the perfect representation of the Father. So we may be imperfect reflections, but we will be imitators of God. Would you pray with me? Father God, again, we are so thankful for your word. And when we look at, God, we often read your word and we, we think, oh, that's impossible. And it is. It is impossible apart from the work that you've chosen to do in us. So God, help us to, to accurately understand your commands and to faithfully submit ourselves to you so that you can work through us to bring about the accomplishment that you want in each of our lives, that we will as beloved children grow to be more and more like our Heavenly Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.